Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to episode 54 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. On tonight's episode, we look at Mobius from 2012, uh, but uh, before we obviously get into that delightful little number, it's time to obviously ask what you've been watching. And uh, Stephen, I mean, since last episode, what's been holding your interest? Well... I'm all kinds of excited about my Gamera box set coming. <laughs> so um, I took the advantage to get a review copy of the very first film, Gamera, the giant monster, which I've reviewed over on Eastern Kicks, but I wanted yep. to talk about here because obviously the Gamera film, we, we looked at the Revenge of Isis and obviously I, I, I'm quite the um, quite a lover of those three films in, the, in that series, but I hadn't really delved back into the beginning of Gamera. Um, and the first film, you know, it comes some, some 11 or so years after the first Godzilla film and it was surprising to see it was in black and white and it was very much in that sort of first Godzilla phase. It, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to ape what Godzilla films had become in the in the decade following the original and um, and just quite how, how, how good it was I mean it, it's, it's, not, it's not a great film but it, it was it was very entertaining and it had an element of seriousness at the same time still having the stupid stuff about camera the, the, the kids and the um, and the jet propulsion aspects of it yeah but uh, but were touching, you know, they were they were hitting cultural touchstones, you know, the UFO panic and things like that. And I just I just felt, yeah, it was a really solid and enjoyable film. I'm fully aware that the quality decays a lot until the until the next era. But um, yeah, it just confuses me why they just don't, you know, there's been another reboot, but there hasn't been a Gamera film for what twenty years. <laughs> No, I mean, Gamera, for whatever reason, while it certainly has its fans, has just never really become the sort of cultural touchstone that Godzilla has become. Or even you look at the likes of uh, Ultraman and the many incarnations that that character's gone through over the the year. Um, For some reason, it's just never sort of really took off. I mean, certainly it had strong support in the West when you look at the likes of uh, MST3K where he was sort of like a regular fixture on there and certainly his films were distributed to the West. It was sort of like in the same sort of Monster Vision sort of block that you would find the Godzilla movies, especially the Shower um, era ones, which I think a lot of the, the best Gamera movies are sort of in the same sort of era of um, and many of the beats are exactly the same as the Godzilla ones, like the first couple of movies that we see him in he's this force of destruction and then slowly he morphs into this defender of humanity and of course the all important friend to old children and 
if I remember right, I think at the end of the first one, he just walks into the space shuttle thing and they launch him into space. If I remember right, because I know that it the... is. It's, it's it's kind of interesting. Obviously, the first the, the first Godzilla film is 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 um is interested in in the beginning of the nuclear age. Obviously, you've got a country which you know less than ten years before had had a couple of nuclear strikes on it. There was um there was an incident with some tuna fishermen that had been um well eventually were killed by the nuclear fallout from the bikini atoll nuclear experiments by um by the americans so it was all very much in in that time shoot forward 11 years later and yes the nuclear age is still something that's very important to japan um but also it's um the, the gamma films also really worried about the cold war um so you know the Gamera is woken up by American attacks on some unknown other planes, which are clearly meant to be Russian. I'm not, not too sure why it's so shy about this, yeah. but it's you know it's, it's got the whole Cold War feeling going on. Um, which and then, like I said before, you know, Gamera looking like a UFO is is it's that height of that. Oh my God, what's in the sky? And then that 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 that, that space racing. And you're quite right. They do this plan, which eventually turns out to be the world gets together to create a space rocket. Yeah, and Gamera just kind of walks into it and is <laughs> jetted off into space. But it's okay because the little boy that he wanted to that, that wanted to save him says, "I'm all right with that. I'm just going to train to be an astronaut so I can go and visit him." And it's got this sort of very lovely sort of. Whereas, whereas Godzilla was coming from this place of of darkness and despair, and you know, the, you know how, how the nuclear age had hurt Japan as a country and as a people, and damaged damaged them as a people. Gamera, even even with all the destruction going on, it's got this kind of feeling of hope um, attached to it. But uh, strange that it was in black and white because you know the rest the rest um, yeah, Godzilla had been doing color films for a decade at this point. Um, but the really weird thing is, I guess, is, is, is as you say, this this is a property which has never really, you'll, you'll find it, you know, it's never really taken off in the West. You'll find, you'll find Gamera appearing in the odd computer game. You'll find Gamera um, appearing as, 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 a, as a sight gag in The Simpsons or something like that. Yeah. But it's not, it's not as well known as Godzilla by 99%. Um and when you think it comes from a, a studio which has basically been bankrupt three or four times, I don't even know who owns Gamera anymore, you'd have thought that would have been ripe for picking up much easier than picking something up like Godzilla from Toho, which you probably, you know, Hollywood probably has to make a number of concessions to Toho for, for, for doing that. And of course, the, the, the bad guys in, um, in Gareth Edwards... Godzilla movie were clearly the bad guys from Gamera movies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, his 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 supporting cast. I assume Gamera's a boy. I don't know. I did something. I've just done something for the Eastern Kicks podcast talking about the history of Gamera films, and I realised when listening to it, I went from um, non-gender specific to calling him a him. I've just decided Gamera's a guy. I, I don't know why. We yeah. just know that Mothra's a girl. That's the only one. Yeah, <laughs> Mothra's girl. Um... And Balante is a girl, and okay, I- right. Iris is also um, female. Oh yes, yes, Iris is. Um, yes. So there are there are female monsters, obviously in the the kaiju verse. It's just they're 
they're not as uh, numerous as their male sort of counterparts and yeah it, it's not really through lack of popularity i mean obviously mothra is like a the second most popular character especially with uh, women in japan when they did the the poem in whereas men obviously the idea of mecha gods that apparently appealed to them more but for myself i mean anglis was always going to be the best but he never got his own spin-off series compared to like mothra um even rodan got his own stand standalone movie so oh, that's not fair it's just it's just um <coughs> excuse me um I just, I just think it's odd, you know, in in a world where we have um, Sadako versus Kyoto, whatever her name is from um, the Grudge movies. Yeah. Um, they they can have a um, they can have a mashup film. What? When are we going to get a Godzilla versus Gamera? Film? They've been talking about that for years and years and years. Fanboys have been wanting to see a Gamera versus Godzilla movie, and I I think as I said, I think the studios are too. The the two bigger rivals to really sort of bring it together. Even though we look at many of the Western studios and we look at the deals that were done between what was it Sony and Marvel, so that they could put Spider Man in Civil War. Mm. And um, yeah, so I, I think I would like to think that one day it may happen, but I think at the same time that it's one of those situations where they're both so sort of precious over the the idol that they couldn't really have one sort of lose and it would end up in the situation that whenever you have like an iconic sort of character clash that you either have to come up with a bigger bad for them to unite against or you have to have some sort of like mutual draw as we saw in like freddy versus jason where they basically just reach this sort of step <clears throat> uh stalemate uh before sort of like they're just removed altogether from the picture so yeah, I, I I guess that's true. But yes, yeah, so so a bit of camera. Um, still waiting for my box set to turn up. By the time this goes out, it'll have arrived. It was in the it was in Amazon today, and then they said, "Oh, we can't deliver it." And that's a shame. I was hoping to have a little talk about how glorious it is and probably how pathetic it is compared to your Godzilla box set. But hey ho. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the Criterion One Thousand Spine um, for the Godzilla Shower Collection is a pain in the ass to fit on the bookcase, but it's a very nice set. It's also, I think, the problem is it's also too nice. The fact that I can't take the shrink wrapping off it, I don't want to. I've yet to find that sort of special moment to sit down and enjoy it. So I've been sort of mainly when I like go to look at like Godzilla uh, films, I don't mainly sort of like. Go to my like DVDs or my VHS versions of the films rather than, you know, pull out the nice new Blu-ray versions of it. So, but I've heard uh, nothing but sort of positive thoughts from from people who have obviously have opened their sets. So, but um, I still hope hopefully they will do the other two, um, the two eras uh, for it. It's been. There's uh, certainly a lot of great Godzilla material that isn't obviously uh, covered in this set, and you look at films such as you know Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, or you look at Godzilla: Final Wars, which I know is a diversive title that it is, but there's some just because uh, it's not including that initial sort of run. I think the ones which followed and things such as you know like Godzilla's uh, Returns. Um, which also releases Godzilla 1984, have um, really got a lot still to about them that is worth checking out. So, so hopefully you enjoy that. Set. I I, I, so. I think I, will. I know I know well I now know four films of of the ten that I will enjoy, and uh, and it's I do like an Arrow box set, so you know 
got to keep that going. Yeah, I mean, obviously when it comes to Gamma, I mean, the next one, obviously, you've got is Gamma versus Baragon, which um, I think may highlight why Gamma never really took off, because here we've got a creature that shoots ice from its tongue and projects rainbows uh from its back yeah i i, I am i am aware <laughs> it's diminishing returns <laughs> but the but the but that first camera film i you know I'll, I'll i'll stick up for that i i was really pleasantly surprised you know it's not something i'm necessarily mm. going to go back to again and again like the original godzilla film which i you know i still think is it's just a superior movie period but um at, at, you know the, the camera film is is definitely taking a lot of beats from from that film but but just placing it sort of 10 years later and it's it's got a lot to say socially i felt sometimes i think the be- best kaiju films are a bit like zombie films they've got they've got something else to say at the same time for me whereas i know a lot of people just like giant monsters knocking seven bells out of each other it is certainly a strong appeal for sure. <laughs> I know. Um, it is for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I think it's the uncut versions that you're guessing of it because I know that the international cuts. There's certainly a lot of really noteworthy scenes in in those uh, films that were obviously cut out of their sort of like Japanese release. So hopefully, yeah, it's the uncut I'll, versions that I'll you're getting. I'll let you know next episode because actually the the review copy that I reviewed of um, Gamma the Giant Monster was the Japanese version, which still has some some Western, and I use the word broadly, acting in it. But I believe the version that was shown in America has got about another five or six minutes of Americanization in it. Um, I had to go, yeah, I had to go back and just double check. Is this the American version? Is this the Japanese version? And, and it, it, it's the Japanese yeah. version. But I'm hoping that. Yeah, there's act there's access to that missing stuff. I'll let you know what the special features are like. Please do, please do. Um, anything else that you well, watched? I just uh, I'll probably be talking about it a little bit more over the next few episodes, but I'm going to be doing some reviews. Um, so obviously, as we speak at this moment in time, we're six months into the COVID, or probably seven months into the COVID lockdown by the time people are listening to this. Um, yeah. Lots of film festivals are having to move online. Um, and I'm going to be doing some reviews and work on um, something really... I, I think maybe in, 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 in an alternate 2020, I might have even gone to visit. Is um, There's a, the Taiwanese Film Festival in Edinburgh this year. It's all going fully online. So... Um, I'm going to be doing some work on that for the In Their Only um, website. Um, so, But the films that I watch, I'll probably end up talking about on here, to be honest with you. Um, okay. But a really, really interesting selection of films from the entirety of sort of modern Taiwanese history, I the whole cinema, not just Edward Yang, mate. <laughs> so, so yes, there is stuff from King Hu, there is stuff from Hu Xiaxian, but there's there's so much earlier stuff as well, so um, it's kind of interesting putting it all in the sort of the 20th and 21st century context of Taiwanese history, so nothing nothing to say just yet, but I've got a feeling there'll be a couple of, um, couple of podcasts worth of, and I saw this coming up. How about yourself, sir? What have you been watching? 
Uh, for myself, it's another week of uh, catch-ups on things, and uh, the one film in particular that I have finally got around to watching is One Cut of the Dead. Oh, please say you liked it. From uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually really, really enjoyed <laughs> One Cut of the Dead. Um, this is obviously turned up on the most recent um, editions of the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, so you can obviously watch it with his additional commentary and i mean he really liked it as well i mean he gave it the full marks there and uh came over at moves and tea and Trunk of dreams uh, really liked it as well um who was actually the inspiration for actually going and watching it in the first place so we're going to be doing an episode over on moves and tea about it in the near future but no i really enjoyed um enjoyed it, it was very surprising because obviously as soon as you mentioned zombies then you know it's sort of like it it sort of get that sort of groan already that you know what can we possibly do here that we haven't already seen before and I think the good thing about One Cut of the Dead is that it just constantly surprises you because it's less of a zombie movie but it's more about the idea of making a zombie movie and falls into that sort of category of why don't you play in hell and uh, perhaps if we're looking for a western comparison um, living in oblivion we look as we follow this uh, group of low budget uh, filmmakers who are basically trying to put together a a zombie movie which they've been challenged to show in one cut and I think that's where it really gets interesting is when we get into the actual filmmaking thing because the film opens and you think you've actually seen the whole film because it comes up with the credits and I've been told that when the film was originally shown in film festivals when they originally showed the uh the first set of fake credits there was people who actually got up and started leaving the theater thinking wow that was a really short movie so it's uh kind of funny that you got film within a film here and just seeing how it all comes together this sort of spinal tap-esque um group of uh, filmmakers who are against all the odds just have to like constantly keep this film running they have to constantly work around every sort of setback that comes to them and certainly the opening zombie film that we see this uh film within a film was um shot in all completely in one take and uh they went through about six times but it's funny just this little student movie that cost about you know three million in um the Japanese, what's Japanese dollars, is it? Yen. yen. Yen's the word you're after. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, it costs about 3 million yen to make. And since then, it's gone on to grow 3.12 billion yen. So, a nice tidy profit, really. And it's kind of, uh, the crew have obviously gone on. They've done their bit during the COVID. They did an online version of One Cut of the Dead, which was pretty funny as well. So, it's going to be interesting to see where he go they go from here i mean it's i would kind of like to see them do something different rather than just try to rehash this into like a different genre but um certainly just it's fun to see in this like mismatched group of filmmakers just coming together and trying to pull together a a zombie movie and certainly the how they get around the fact that they've got and broke the the uh the dolly which is the you know the camera on the pole um is probably a pretty inspired ending to say the least so i i i'm so happy you enjoyed it it was my oh gosh it's a couple of years old now it was my it was my yeah. film of the year recent kicks 
we do like they they do it like an end of year thing. I didn't do one last year because I hadn't seen enough um, hadn't seen enough films. But it was my film of the year by a country mile. Um, so you're really catching up because you did Train to Busan last week or last month. And and and, and, and I know it's this. all coming together now, um, isn't it? And I know a lot of people actually ended up being disappointed by One Cut of the Dead because they thought it was a zombie movie. And yeah, okay, there's a zombie movie in there. But it's not. It's a film about filmmaking, and in particular about indie filmmaking, and which is really important because that's a part of Japanese cinema which has just disappeared over the last five years. Um, uh, some quite important Japanese cinema websites have closed down because there's not enough independent Japanese cinema coming through. You know, even even our friend like Takashi Miike um, just mostly makes um, blockbuster films with big money behind him um, Sion Solo makes films for Netflix now or Amazon Prime now um, yeah. there, there, there just isn't a market locally um, for independent cinema and therefore it doesn't get out into the um, there's nothing for the festivals Everything, everything's like big it's manga adaptations, it's anime adaptations it's really disappointing Especially, you know, as you and I know, we've talked about many times about the sort of the imagination and the excitement and, and the ideas which can be in such films. And One Cut of the Dead is about that. It's about the struggle. It's about the way that the, how these films get made. And yes, it's hilarious and it's silly and it's stupid, but it's so imaginative. And you can imagine, you know, that the, these are the struggles that real life, low budget filmmakers have to go through. Um, and it's just put together so wonderfully. I mean, I'm sure we could sit here and pick it apart scene by scene. Oh, that doesn't quite match that, but fantastic. And the power's brilliant. And as you say, there's sort of a little mini sequel that, that, that they did in the early days of, of, of lockdown is, is a really nice little addition to the story. But uh, it will be interesting to see where, well, not just the director, but the, like, like, there's clearly like a troop of actors which are, which are keen to work together where where they'll go next but yeah fantastic film yeah i mean i was very the one thing that surprised me as well um was that um the film itself the very similar controversy is it was drew very similar comparisons to the play uh ghost in the box and this was this was brilliant. The fact that the filmmakers just basically acknowledged that they've been inspired by Ghost in the Box, and put the put that in the end credits, and actually gave the um, the I think it was the writer uh, Ryochi Wada. They gave him some money just to basically you know comp- for for his inspiration. And I'm thinking that if we compare this to like in the West, that <laughs> this would be got like in courts, there'd be lawyers, there would be like this would be dragged on for years. Um like I mean you look at the case that was uh, put against uh, I think it was Warner Brothers for for coming to America. And uh there was the guy who claimed that he wrote it first and in the end they just like gave him a million dollars just to get him to go away. But the fact that case just like went on for years and years and here we have in, in Japan they just like so it's like, oh, okay, we'll just give you some money and get in knowledge that you provide well, the inspiration. The hardware so. and the two thousand AD story and music it happens all the time. But uh yeah, it was it it was not I mean I, I, one cut of the dead just hit a certain zeitgeist, so I guess they, 
I, I don't know when that decision was made, whether when the when the real buzz happened about it, and they said, you know, it might be better just to nip this one in the bud. But I, I can't believe they expected it to be as successful as it had. Um, there's a the, the third window got it out into cinemas over here, you know, a very quick run over here, and then onto DVD very yeah. very quickly. So um, yeah, that buzz that buzz was very quick and very immediate, um, and because yeah i mean it opened in like an 84 seat art house theater for like six days and then it's only once it gets like the runner-up prize at the uh Udine far east film festival that it suddenly gets that like, the international attention as you said fair window films pick it pick it up and then just like try uh distribute it to like this huge critical acclaim and, and massive success so yeah, so that's that. I mean, that's what I've been mainly sort of watching. I mean, everything else has sort of been, I've sort of been going back and forth between bits and pieces. I mean, obviously, still continuing the watch of Dragon Ball uh, Z Super, which is just still fantastic. We just had the um, battles between the dimensions, um, so we we had uh, Goto's uh, dimension going up against uh, Dimension Eight, um, where the winner got. To, They've got um, control over Dimension 7's F, uh, because in Dimension 8 it's been decimated. So it was a fun little brawl, and I have to say there's just some absolutely jaw-droppingly fantastic fight sequences within that particular set of saga. And even just like the Fallout uh, sort of uh, wrap-up sort of episodes have also been really great as well. So it's a series that's just really fun and easy to watch, and it's... Even though it's like this, my wife still doesn't know why I just watched this show where the burly men shout at each other all the time. But um, yeah, it's still a really, really, really fun show, um, which I'm sure you guys already know already because I mean, Dragon Ball Z being the cultural phenomenon that it is. So, but um, other than that, I'm still watching bits and pieces of uh, Snowpiercer, the TV series, uh, which it's okay. I kind of want to get to the end of it before I like cast my final sort of opinion on it, but. At the moment, I'm like four episodes in, and there's certain characters that work for me and other plot lines, which I just think they could have hacked out of this thing. So I'm kind of miss. It kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch the film more, but I suppose it's good for that uh, for that point. Um, and yeah, everything else is just sort of uh, bits and pieces at the moment. So, so yeah, I'm slowly crossing off all this stuff on my that I should have seen already. So. Who knows what next month, next episode will hold after find something else that you lot have all been going on about that I've still oh, not yet really watched. Exciting. So. <laughs> you've you've killed the two main ones off. I think I think I think um, I can't think of anything else that I've been nagging you about. Oh, I can go back to just watching what I want now. <laughs> yeah, that's what people right. tell me I should be watching. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously we've got the Train to Busan sequel. Um, was it Peninsula? Pen- peninsula that's uh currently doing the festival rounds as well so you know maybe that will have filtered through by uh then as well so but. yes i'm hoping so i think though that's been um and the main release has been delayed hasn't it because of covid so it's uh i'm guessing it's the tenant tenet of um of east asia at the moment the film that they're all hoping is going to kick the film industry back into life again and they can but hope so um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a it's a strange time still at the moment. It, these are weird times to be living through. 
Indeed it is. Anything else you want to bring up to? So the only thing I would do is um it's not technically film, it's more of a uh, it's more of a, a crossover with one of your other podcasts. Okay. <laughs> would. Um but at the beginning of the year I I I'd got myself a PlayStation four and I had decided to play through although not 100% complete, I'm not mental, all the uh, Sega Yakuza games. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I'm now on to Yakuza 4. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and just sort of part, part way through that. But to me, they're very much like watching movies. They are, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're fundamentally 3D brawlers with gigantic long cutscenes. But the stories I'm finding so fascinating and semi-complicated and... Uh, it, the, the the problem being is that I have to, you know, even if I'm just going to work through a chapter a night, that chapter might be 30 minutes long, or it might be four hours, I just never know. Hmm. But yes, I've, I've made my way through to Yakuza 4, I hope to have that finished in the next few weeks, um, and then I'm, yeah, then it's five, and then it's six, and then it's zero, and then I'll be done. Apart from, I've got the Fist of the North Star and Judgment to play as well, so I'm not sure I'm going to get them all done by the end of the year, but it's been a really interesting, um, yeah, re- really interesting, and it's a shame that Takashi Miike film of the first story is so terrible. <laughs> I just struggled with them, because it felt like I wasn't actually playing, I was just watching a lot of cutscenes with these with these games. Um, that's the fact that you that basically the... There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of uh, gameplay there because it's more sort of mini-game focused, it felt like. For, and I've only played a bit of the first one and I played a bit of Yakuza 0, but as I said, it was just the fact that it was like constantly in cutscenes for like 15, 20 minutes at a time, it felt like. It was like, oh, let me do something here. There is th- there is that. There's 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 three aspects to these games. There's, there's There is the cutscene. But a lot of modern games are like that. So many modern games... Seem to, seem to be like that. Um, then you have the sort of the, the 3D brawler. You know, it's all. Um, I'm trying to think. It's like all like, like a Capcom brawler from the 90s. You know, it's all done in 3D. But yes, it's, it's a it's a button masher. Um, certainly, if you're not playing it on the top levels, there's a little bit of RPG stuff, building weapons and stuff. But I've never really bothered that. And then there's the mini games and the side quests. Um, few quick time events but the, the mini games is fun you know when you get to play probably not so much in these earlier games that i'm playing at the moment but later on there's some sort of some classic arcade games and things in there to play there's lots of sort of card games and obscure japanese board games that i'll never learn how to play mm-hmm. <laughs> um but it's it's just a really immersive environment not too big um yakuza 4 is a little bit different because you there's four different characters which like four little mini stories that, that will eventually play out together um, one and two were completely re remastered these Kiwami versions um, three four and five which is what I'm playing through at the moment are just remasters of the PlayStation 3 so they still look like PlayStation 3 games my god these huge hands on the models and things like that mm. but, but but it's you know it's 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 60 frames per second all that kind of stuff that people worry about um and and some rough edges have been smoothed off but fundamentally the games haven't been completely refreshed um there's a whole thing where you watch a cutscene play out and then you play another five minutes of it by pressing X as that's 
the end of the scene is played out within the character models and it's a bit frustrating but you you get into it and like i say i i i enjoy it because i enjoy those kind of yakuza movies anyway (laughs) and it's um but it's such a wonderfully immersive experience um and just makes me even want to go to japan even more but maybe in 2030 i'll get around to that cool well, from one problematic gameplay to our rather problematic uh, main feature tonight, and we're going to be looking at uh, Morbius, I believe I pronounced that right, uh, from 2014. Uh, this is a Korean film by Kim Ki-duk, um, who is a director probably known best known for his art, art sensibility, as we've seen him with uh, films such as The Isle and Free Iron. Um, and Samaritan Girl, which we believe we've talked about on the show before now as well. Uh, but um, here he's returns with probably one of his more unique films, to say the least, as um, a mother, um, here played by uh, Lee Eun Woon, here playing uh, Jewel Rose as both uh, mother and uh, the mistress of, the, of her husband, um, here played by Jo J. Hyun. Uh, decides that she's going to take revenge on her husband, but unable to carry out her plans to uh, chop off his penis, decides that she will instead hurt him by doing the same to their son. Um, so what follows is probably one of the more random Aaron uh, half or so that we've uh, had on the show, and i am kind of got to ask there, Stephen, exactly um, who hurt you to make you select this film? Yeah, so <laughs> I hadn't seen it before selecting it. Oh, I, that might I, be a bit evident. <laughs> and and I have to say, I have been worried about watching it full stop. I thought, well, if I can virtually watch it with Elwood, even though we're not watching it at the same time, yeah. maybe he can share my pain. Because I had an idea of what it was about. Um, I And I've wanted to bring a Kim kim ki film to the show um i'd selected three iron in the past as one of the films that um you know and i can't remember the top 25 or top 50 show um was a film that really affected me um i really enjoy spring summer autumn winter and spring i think that's what it's called yeah really really love that film um and and I guess also going back to you know those early days of, of extreme Asian cinema, that early 2000s, that's times of Battle Royale, of Audition. One of the films that sort of came over in that, in that, hey, look at these wacky films from Korea, was, was Kim Ki-duk's The Isle. And it came with a little bit of um, controversy because it showed a frog being skinned and a fish being gutted. And that's, a, you know... Us British, we'll, we'll have anything on the screen, but you can't hurt an animal. No, um, we really do frown <laughs> on animal cruelty. Um, I yeah. remember in particular that people were really, the the one scene that everyone went to discuss is the guy being pulled through the uh, fishing hole with a hook for his yeah, mouth. Yeah, fish hooks, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, not not a favourite of mine, The Isle, but Kim Ki-duk is a really interesting filmmaker because he, he you know, he's... <laughs> He, he chooses really uncomfortable subjects. He's a, um, I, I believe he's a devout Buddhist, so a lot of it, a lot of Buddhist, sorry, a lot of his sort of um, religious 
thoughts come through and we might talk about that in a minute um and but but he can do these these films of sublime beauty like spring summer and spring um and he can do really weird and wacky stuff and then he's also he's done a documentary about himself which is best described as um some, someone's this isn't an original thought but it was described as airang is the film it's basically described as being stuck with a drunk at the bar who can only talk about himself mm. um, <laughs> but you know he's, he's just a really interesting character um there is some controversy around him um certainly not not just with regards to this film where an actress unnamed said that he hit her because uh, she refused to do one of the sex scenes although yep. I'm not really sure what sex scene she's talking about um, and uh, um, and 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 he did funny enough well the central talking before he paid some money to make it go away but there is a um, there is a a feeling of his misogyny across his films lots of feminist groups in Korea do not like him or his films at all and feel that all his female characters are underwritten or are victims um, and, and therefore that may follow through to how he treats female talent on set but he's also you know he's also had people work with him who have gone on to be great filmmakers in their own right he's he's an important though small independent voice um, I was trying to think of someone to compare him to. I was thinking maybe someone like Peter Greenaway or someone like that, um, D- J- uh, Derek Jarman, um, because although they're not making the big blockbusters, they are making the films which people remember, the films which are getting at the festivals. They're sort of advertising their country's work, although very much not the mainstream and he's never sold out <laughs> he's he's never been close to selling out so yeah so that's a long way of going to say yeah i really want to talk about one of his films i've known about mobius for a long time i've known what it's about and i've been too scared to watch it not because i'm scared of monsters but penis amputation kind of gets you doesn't it mate <laughs> Just a bit. Um, with that, obviously, that opening didn't obviously warn you of what's ahead. I will advise that uh, tonight's episode is going to feature some rather controversial content. So instead of writing those angry letters, why don't you perhaps check out something from my archive instead, which you can find at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. Um, and uh, for those of a slightly stronger stomach or wanting to push your limits of taste um we will obviously get into the film a bit deeper now but uh yeah as you said i mean kim ki duck i mean he came in sort of in the waves that came just after that initial sort of big hits of like you know ring on audition we had other sort of smaller films that sort of filter through some uh, mainly through like tarzan i mean i remember uh, bad guy being one of those early ones and it came through along with the likes of you know princess blade and freezer and i don't think it for whatever reason i remember it getting some sort of minor press but it never really sort of set the world on fire and i think for the most part i think when it comes to his films i think he's probably better known by his films and as a the director behind them um certainly when you like look at the when you talk about his films such as you know free iron and um as you've said already you know spring autumn winter summer spring um that that 
his films certainly do get a lot of critical acclaim, but he's not a sort of director who sort of stands out in this world of, you know, like Takashi Miike's uh, and Sion Sonos. He's not one of those uh, directors who's sort of known known by name. He's just sort of more known for the films that he's made. I would, shall I say, the films that the films are better known than the director behind them, shall I say, sorry. I think I think that's true. He's also someone who can pump out two or three films a year um, of, of of varying quality. Um, I mean, there there is an indie scene in in Korea, um, but I do think he, he's he very much stands alone. And I think there was that period. I mean, you you named you've named a couple of films there. Um, uh, so other than his first film crocodile which was a bit of an indie darling and a, a hit you know we've, we've got the isle we've got bad guy we've got spring summer fall winter it's not autumn is it yeah fall winter and spring it's, it's gonna keep friends off that one isn't it so. yeah let's just call it spring for now samaritan girl um three iron and i think um maybe time they all got sort of quite a lot of play in in festivals and things like that um but he's kept he's kept on making the films um, I think the one before, I think Pieta, the film he made, I think in the same year, actually got quite a bit of play. I've certainly got, a, I've got a DVD of that, which appears to be a, a Western DVD. So, you know, that, that there's a there's a market for it. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, I wonder if there are many people that say they're huge Kinky Duck fans, rather than did you see that film where that happens <laughs> which I might, might be going to um, in a minute well it certainly surprised me especially the content of this film that it's not even been sort of picked up by the gorehounds I mean I would certainly expect the likes of Zoe of its above her shotgun to sort of be rubbing her hands with relish at this one and maybe give us something to watch other than um, another rewatching of Necromantic or uh, Nakodama as it certainly would seem to play into a lot of the things that people who like shocking films would like. Um, I mean, this is as I said, it's a film with multiple penis amputations. Uh, we've got the main sort of gist of the story following this son whose penis is uh, cut off in this vengeful act by his own mother. Um, and before they can even sort of look at getting it reattached she's already consumed it and then run off into the night um before this i mean obviously she's been introduced as kind of a soak um she's there shown drinking wine first thing in the morning and i mean it's a really fascinating performance by uh, uh lee nara um who, who as i said she plays dual roles she's not only the mother but she also plays the mistress as well and she was the actress that was brought in to replace the anonymous actress who raised these uh, allegations against the director um, in regards to, you know, participating in sex scenes that she had previously not agreed to. And certainly when we look at the sex scenes in this film, there is a lot of rather shocking material to be found, as we'll probably get into a bit later in this episode. So, But, um, I mean, the film itself, it was actually banned initially uh, in South Korea before the ratings board reviewed the film and changed the rating again. So... As from going off what I've seen uh, of his previous films, I don't wouldn't say that this is his strongest work, or was there something in this film that I was missing that you enjoyed, Stephen? No, I mean, I, it, it, it's not his strongest work. It feels like a, to me, like a semi-successful experiment. Um, I believe the original film 
had a little more and, and this might be a reason why it hasn't really got picked up by the gore hounds because although lots of stuff happens we don't actually see as much as we might um <laughs> and, and I, I i think we may have seen more before but the film was edited by the you know the, the korean censorship the film censorship board did get it edited before passing it and i think that's the only version of the film that exists so you don't see any penises <laughs> either, well, either, either attached or detached, really. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, I mean, this is Asian cinema. We don't, we don't yeah. get full frontal male but, nudity, do but, we, sir? But we do get a lot of breast action, which in Korean cinema is actually really rare. Um, so, so I do wonder if you know. The, the, I, th- I think that the, the lead actress is magnificent. I didn't even realise to start with it was the same actress playing the two roles. No, um, no, so I, 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 I thought that was, you know, that was that was astonishing piece of work by her because they are two completely different characters, and a wig does everything, doesn't it, to make her into 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 two completely different individuals. Although, as I suspect, we might talk about the, there may be something else going on here. Um, no, I think I think it's a film which is committed to its um, to its idea. I'm not too sure how strong its idea is. <laughs> um, um, is it a film which is out there to shock? Or has it got more to say about anything? I'm not so sure. Um, so obviously, I guess I guess we start the name of the film. A Mobius, a Mobius strip, as, as probably most people know, is a sort of a geometric construct. Like a, like a sort of... How would you describe it? Like a, like a, like a, like a circle with a twist in it, um, where where basically you follow it round and you'll just keep on going around forever. It's never it's never ending, even though it tw- twists around. Um, I guess that's the that's the point of the film there, that 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 how it starts is how it ends, <laughs> and even though it's a bit twisty along the way, um, and, it, and and that that feeds into Kim Ki Duk sort of. Uh, strong belief in buddhism you know in the, in the cycle of life and reincarnation in the way that we're um you know that we're doomed to repeat ourselves and t- until we can make changes in our lives um i'm not sure that penis um removal is part of any buddhist doctrine although although now think now saying that out loud of course uh if you think if you think about it you have a lot of eunuchs um in sort of sort of that historical Chinese Buddhist era of China, China um, storytelling. Um, think, think about films like The Swordsman Two and the Host of Eunuchs in loads in loads of other films. So so demas- emasculated men are are very much a thing in East Asian mythology history as well. So maybe he's feeding off something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get that feeling here. I felt there was just there was just a lot of shock value going on. And let's face it, the penis amputations, the and 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 is is not even the weirdest thing going on here. <laughs> no, I mean this is certainly a, as we said already. This is a unique movie to say the least, as uh, the focus is quickly shifted to the sun struggling to deal with the fact he now has no penis and his father trying to find alternate ways of 
pleasure, which normally involve uh, initially involve him scraping stones against uh, various body parts. So uh, before graduating to basically any most sadomasochistic acts that um, he has inflicted upon him, giving him the same sort of pleasurable release that uh, that he's uh, been been sort of denied by having his member really removed and along. I mean, initially this um, leads to him being caught up in a gang rape on uh, his father's mistress, which, again, is not uh, not not too pleasant. Uh, but uh, this leads to him being incarcerated because he refuses to acknowledge the fact he has no penis, and um, bizarrely leads him back to this mistress character who between them embark on this weird uh, sort of exploration of alternate means of pleasure uh, ultimately capturing this gang leader again so they can cut off his penis um, which then leads us to probably one of the more bizarre chases in film history um, involving the son running around with this now severed penis with the gang member who despite having his penis removed is still quite spry it has to be said and perhaps if I hadn't seen uh, Henlotter's Bad Biology, this probably would have charged as my most weirdest uh, chase in cinema <laughs> history. But, I mean, that is going up against a film where a man's enormous member detaches itself and walks off. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah, quite competition. It's, it's not it's not it's not really there. Um, yeah, I mean, the 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 film uh, it certainly has a debt to pay to something like J.G. Ballard's Crash, um, where people in that film take sexual pleasure <laughs> from car crashes. Um, so yes, um, it, frotting with stones, which is a phrase I never. Not only did I never think I'd say. Did you look just, this up? Because I, because no, I, I wasn't. Uh, I just looked at this. and I was like, is that really a thing? I didn't look any further up than the what the what the character typed in and his google <laughs> i didn't go much further than that but yeah obviously obviously masochism is is quite a common sort of trope in in films like this where people are talking about their you know the, a, a more fundamental form of um emasculation not always having your penis chopped off but just yeah. uh, just you know a, a feeling of a lack of masculinity um but you know the things where um the, the elements of the film were like the, the the mistress character the shopkeeper character um is basically giving a hand job via a um, a knife to the back <laughs> of course so not, yes. not just one but two characters and the second time she does it it's 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 not about it's not it's not about pain. It's not about pain producing pleasure, which is what the frotting's about. But it's it's quite clearly what she's doing. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting because it's trying to. It's interesting because it's trying to sort of show the link between masculinity and sex. And of course, you know, it's a very feminist debate, isn't it, about the power of the penis and all that kind of stuff. Although this is probably the least feminist film you'll ever see that's talking about it. It also draws allusions, so it draws allusions to the penis as a weapon in terms of knives, in terms of guns. Um, two characters consider shooting themselves in the in the in the pubic area and indeed the gun later on becomes uh, part of the conclusion of the film um because it's a substitute for the penises 
you know, we we could talk about archetypes and Jungian uh, uh, archetypes for all, all, all night, but yeah, it's a film about dicks and power and the loss of the power of a man because he's had it removed <laughs> because <laughs> marriages subsume a man's ability to be powerful i don't know i can certainly see this is not a very um this wouldn't be a film that i'd want to run my life against <laughs> it's a it's a very strange I, I, I think that's where it struggles i don't know what he's trying to say no, and certainly I've looked at a number of other sort of views online to see if there's you know any more sort of highbrow thinking critics out there who've got a deeper experience than I've certainly found in this film. Is it verges on exploitive, but at the same time it's got such art house sensibilities to it. I mean, this is a dialogue free film. I mean, certainly they make various grunts and noises at each other, but there is no dialogue to be really sort of found of it. And yeah. certainly so if there the, is, the, it's the, not picked up by my stereo, so. No, no. The, so, so again, it's funny. It's funny that we've sort of I don't know, we've been talking about this a little while now. It's the first time we've mentioned there's no dialogue in Three Iron. I mean, none of Kinky Duck's films have much dialogue in at all. But Three Iron is completely silent as well. I think it's completely silent, and it's and and, and that it's used as an exa- as a way for people to sort of act their emotions. Um, here, I, there's a couple of cheats. We see things written down, like through web browsers and things like that. And oh yes, and... the father's uh, Google searches. <laughs> yeah, my, which my I favourite being orgasm no penis. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to type it in, people, that's your fault. <laughs> um, um, so I, I, I don't think it's as beautiful a piece of work as as Three Iron is. I don't think the silence that the, there's a there's a lot of grunting and ooing and ahhing and stuff like that and gasping and screeches and and obviously yes you know, there's that that you know like the the orgasm the French call it the petit mort the little death um, you know there's a bit of that that what's the difference between pleasure and pain between orgasm and pain and it, but it just all feels a bit obvious. Do you know what I mean? I, I just, I just don't feel there's. I'm struggling to think of something other than, well, you've thrown a bunch of pretty standard ideas on the screen. Yes, you've, you've displayed some, some stuff here that that is shocking. Yeah, you don't see a lot of penises get cut off in film, right? Period. But then it confuses it all with incest. It, um, what else was in it? Oh. Potting, potting with stones. Um, We've got dry the, humping. The, yeah, the the what, yeah, the gang raping. Sorry, sorry. There's the gang rape. I keep forgetting about the gang rape. Yep. Um, you got um, you got copious amounts of ejaculate, which uh, from when the uh, sun suddenly becomes starts on his darker path of being generally turned on by anything deviantly related, and that includes the. A violent assault by his father on his mother in the absolutely bonkers final quarter of this film, where it just like veers completely off the rails and stops making any sense whatsoever. Um, oh yes, because because when the <laughs> so sorry, there's penis transplants in this as well. Let's we, we didn't really mention that the father has his penis removed because he feels so bad for his son. Oh, is that um, what was going on? I wasn't sure what was supposed to be going on in that uh, scene because so, he goes to hospital and then he suddenly turned under a sheet. 
It's and... not. It's not terribly clear, but what the father goes to the hospital. So the, the the mother chops off her son's penis because she fails to chop off her husband's. Yeah, she wants to chop it off because she's caught him having sex. She's angry at the son because the son has seen the father having sex with the mistress. So and she's so pissed because she's such a souse. She fails to cut off the husband, so she goes and chops off her sons. The husband comes in, sees what she's done. She puts it in her mouth, swallows it, and runs off into the into the distance. The father then takes the son to hospital, and at some point, which isn't terribly clear, has his penis removed, which is why he's looking up the stone thing. Yeah. Then eventually they find a they find a surgical procedure online in America where penis transplant is now possible. They go to the hospital and he has the father's penis is then sewn onto the son. The son <laughs> now can only have an erection around his mother. I mean, yeah, there's. <laughs> Why well, this obviously sounds like a lot of spoilers um, on Stephen's part. It actually makes a lot more sense. It's someone explains to you what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, you know, I, watch I'm, this I'm... and go and go. Oh yeah, that's what's supposed to be going on because it. I had no clue what was supposed to be going on this. Fair, no, in it's quarter. not. It's not terribly clear that the father has had his penis removed. Um, because well, they've been don't... storing it all this time. I mean, I don't it's know. Not like they I don't just... know. But this, this, this is a flaw in the lack of the lack of um, any verbal communication in the film because you don't get any exposition, um, and it, yeah, it's only later on that you. It, 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 I mean, obviously, it's become clear because the father no longer is a sexual character, so he has, you know, the fa- the affair with the um, with the with the mistress just stops dead, doesn't it? After this moment, all he's obsessed about is is his, his son now, and then the son obviously takes his father's place. The mistress must know also that he's the son because she makes a play for him before she knows what's going on. Um, but because because the film doesn't talk about anything, you have to join the dots and then like you say the final the final sort of quarter of the film the mother reappears and sort of puts herself back in the family there doesn't seem to be a lot of um anger at her (laughs) what she's what she'd done previously um but she she basically no she seems to know whose penis is whose and um tries to shack up with the son which then drives the husband to he's been that's what emasculates him more than his own penis being removed, and that revolts in a bloody conclusion. Um, so there you go, everybody. <laughs> I've pretty much I'm... described the whole plot of the film, but I don't think that matters. <laughs> I'm sure you're all just rushing out to go and watch this one, I'm sure. <laughs> On the other hand, though, there is that fantastic performance by the, by the, by the female lead, or leads her, and it's really well shot. I, I had a feeling it would all be a bit hand cam and you know a bit shaky and stuff like that. But it's it's really beautifully shot and put together. It's just bonkers, but it's not bonkers enough to become a a cult classic or like you say to be picked up by the gore hounds. It, no, it, it 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 doesn't it doesn't get that, and it's not. It hasn't got enough going on to really satisfy the um, the indie crowd either. 
think it was this general fascination of where this film was going to go next that sort of kept me with it to the end. I mean, this is a really a 2.5 out of 5 film that you're either going to really love or you're going to absolutely hate the hell out of. It's could go either way for you, I could see, um, see this going. And certainly when we get on to self-viewing it, it becomes sort of more clear the sort of films that it, if you like those that um, it was sort of further your your choice if you're going to get a kick out of this one or not. I mean, it's a shame that he never really sort of settles on any one idea. It feels like a real sort of mishmash of ideas. We sort of like, as I said, it's sort of initially it's this bizarre revenge, and then it sort of become sets us off on this path of son trying to find pleasure without a penis, um, before then going into a sort of almost fetishistic uh fetishist there can't get the words out fetish sort of driven fetishistic i don't yeah. know yeah how you say it I, this fetish <laughs> driven sort of relationship between the mistress and the and the the son that uh, obviously sees them going to new heights of sort of depravity that you could look at things such as the um the episode uh, black museum on uh, Black Mirror, where you got the uh, doctor who becomes obsessed with feeling pain, and it's, it feels like it feels like it's going down that sort of path, and then we just get into that final quarter, and it just goes completely off the rails, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, and made me wonder like what the hell uh, everyone else does with their time <laughs> instead of wasting the time on films like this. So, yeah, I, I just I just think I think it wants I think it thinks it's cleverer than it actually is. I think that that's its fundamental flaw. The, the shocking stuff. I I didn't want to watch it because I was afraid it was going to be a bit more visual than it than it was. I mean, I've seen some terrible things happen on film, but a penis is being chopped off. Is is that and eyes are two things I don't enjoy being seeing them even in in film being hurt. Um, but I just don't. I just think it. it struggle because it was just trying to be too artsy fartsy i can't believe i'm the one saying this but you know it's trying to i I did read a review and someone was gave all the characters the son the mother the lover the you know and it it was trying to talk in jungian archetypes and i thought yeah but it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't lead anything um the final scene where the son smiles at a buddhist temple as if that explains everything absolutely lost on me um you know we talked about a film a couple of couple of episodes ago that had some some sort of buddhist leanings at the beginning and the end of the film i can't remember which episode it was but you know you i, I can make a case for that this is this is just this is just shock cinema well made well acted but lacking meaning i think that was to me that's that's what i got out of it, it just it lacked meaning and even the shocking stuff, actually, when you get to see it, it's well, you don't actually see very much. It's all implied. And watching someone get off to a knife to the back is it's just not enough. It's just not enough there. So yeah, I don't know. I I I, I think two point five out of five is absolutely right. You know, th- th- there's enough here to be intrigued about. We will both remember this film for the rest of our lives, but we won't say you should see this. 
or that this is the best example of Korean indie film or Kim Ki Duk's films or anything like that. But we will always know about the film where a man masturbates with no penis with a rock. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, as I said, if you, if you want to see the schlong goodbye that this film is, um, you can obviously still pick it up. I believe it's uh, coming out through Terracotta. Um, so it is available on there, and they've also got several other films, such as if we mentioned uh, Orang and Crocodile as well. So, did you Definitely. did you come up with that yourself, the Schlong goodbye? Do you like that? I thought that was. I I hope you've been working on that all week. <laughs> Just sitting there, right? Kind that's of penis episode, puns for you, lot. That's the episode highlight to me. And please tell me you made it up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was looking for some to tie into penises here so um, it's better than gone penis gone no no don't ruin it best, that's the best best line 54 episodes in that's your best line mate you can retire now <laughs> okay um, so yeah I mean as I said it's I don't know it's just very it's very well put together trash the best. I think this film could be easily been like a trauma movie or something like that. But at the same time, it's got such art house sort of uh, sensibilities no. about it. It sort of elevates into something a little more uh, deeper. It's funny. You're not the only reviewer to say that. Lots of people, lots of people said, "Oh, it's just like a trauma film, but with art house, art house sensibilities, but without the fun." There's, there's not a moment of fun in this film. You could see like them or, you know, as I said, Henlotter, um, who, let's not forget, whose last film, Bad Biology, was about a woman with nine clitorises uh, meeting the guy with the gigantic penis that he has to use the industrial jack-off machine to keep himself satisfied. Um, yeah. that's, a, I, that's a whole different thing. Although I do see lots of you saying that this is a black comedy. I struggle to see where the comedy is. You know, I I like a dark comedy. I like a you know like a like a, th- a reversal of um of normality and things like that. But I, I didn't see reversible. Then I was like, <laughs> I didn't see their own. <laughs> I didn't see anything in this which I thought was funny, even in a sick way. Um, uh, that, that that and and usually black comedy is kind of making a point. You know what it what it's what it's turning back on is, is trying to make a point and this was shock after shock after shock after shock yeah we can talk about male politics and male and, and gender politics and the power of the penis and all that but this was you know it was just taboo after taboo after taboo without any real rhyme or reason so yeah i was disappointed but I've got through it. It's come off my to-do list to watch. Must come off my watch pile, and I made you sit through it as well. So there we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, on that note, further viewing. What would you pair with this if you if you wanted to recommend uh, something to watch with this? Well, <laughs> the first thing I'm going to recommend, if you really want, if you think you're really going to like this, I'll tell you a film that you would have liked. Um, it's a film which I couldn't stand. And I'm on other podcasts having a go at it. Um, is um, Mother by All um, oh, right. by Darren Aronofsky, who, which I think is a similar film, which is trying to be very artsy fartsy and do lots of things with taboos and 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 stuff in a in a slightly more highfalutin and 
artsy kind of way but it, it just reminded me so much of mother the feelings i had of this film so up its own ass and what's what's the point and what you're trying to show is is i very much felt the same um i would however going back to asian cinema i hopefully what people can see if this is their first time watching a film by kim ki duk um i would suggest why don't you go and have a watch of three iron <laughs> mm-hmm. instead or which is is, is is equally as um dialogue free um equally as problematic and um, there's moments of violence in it but there's moments of absolute beauty and and the act of it's another it's another sort of three character film um but there's there's a, there's a beauty and there's something that elevates that film um and also spring summer fall winter and spring which i just think is one of the most beautiful films of all time so he can do that um finally what i would choose is he has lots of people who work with him um who've gone on to create great cinema um one of whom is a uh, someone called jang chol su who made a marvelous sort of revenge thriller film called bedeviled in the west but it was known as the whole story of the kim Boknam murder case he said reading off his notes um which takes a lot of that that taboo that that kim Duk sort of classic stuff but actually turns it into a really compelling revenge thriller horror film so it's got a lot of graphic violence in it but it's also got a really strong story with a really strong female character leading it um so it, it, i i see that as an evolution from kinky duck sort of indie sort of pushing at taboos and pushing at morality that people f- that, that work with him, his assistant directors and the like, do go on and make really interesting other films. So yeah, Be Deviled would be the other film I go for. Um, lots of anti-male violence in that as well, but it's just it's just to me it's done in a much more entertaining way. A couple of things out there for sure that you can sort of look at, which are in a similar sort of vein. I mean, you can always look at Takashi Miike's uh, Visitor Q, which I think is a little more enjoyable as bizarre yeah. thing that sounds says to be sound like um <laughs> you can also oh. check out Shinya to sakamoto's uh, snake of doom which i personally like but it's like this film it's hard to explain why i liked it so much it's again it's a very film which has a lot of sexual deviancy in it but at the same time it's so beautifully shot with that uh blue tint that he brings to his uh, cityscapes it's a film which uh, sees a woman sort of closeted to begin with, but uh, slowly, through the help of a stalkerish figure, experimenting not only with her own sexuality, but going down into even sort of darker territory, as we find out, as we have seen, such as like the room of uh, Japanese businessmen with the cones on their face looking at the various things being projected in front of them. So it... Um, like all the best uh, Tsuka Motor movies, it sort of starts off on a pretty sane track and quickly descends into a Lynchian nightmare. So, yeah, no, they they fun, funny. They were both certainly Visitor Q was a film I thought, oh, could, could, could I pair it with that? <laughs> but, um, and Snake of June, yeah, that that that's that's a good call as well. Um, both, I would say, more successful films than, than this one. Um, 
equally shocking in, in various ways, but mm. uh, I just think have a have a more defined sense of purpose. Yeah, I mean, certainly if we're talking about in terms of just the the director, then you're wanting to see this sort of work from him. Then I mean, you look at just need to look at things such as you know, bad guy or uh, Samaritan girl, perhaps to a lesser extent. Uh, so I see him going on a similar sort of track here, but no, this is just real out there randomness to say the least. But we've watched it now; we can move on. I know. I I don't wonder. It's all like is this a new a new low that we've sunk to on this show? But oh, I don't, I, yeah, it's 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 not a bad, bad, terrible film with terrible acting and terrible special effects, and you know, it, it, or, or I'm sure you enjoyed it more. I'm sure you enjoyed it more than you enjoyed, say, the Terrorizers. That'll be our. I mean, there was certainly this seemed a lot more more coherent than the Terrorizers. <laughs> um, again, it's something we we can argue about. But this, um, I mean, this at least I had a clue what was supposed to be going on, so oh. that when we come to talk about it this evening, that you know, <laughs> I have something to say. Thing saying, I have well, things missed, happened. You'd miss the whole key element of it. You'd miss you'd miss one penisectomy. So, <laughs> but I mean, no, it's... no, I. I, I get it. It just you know the Kim Kiduk's made lots and lots and lots of films. Um, I haven't seen them all. I've seen maybe a third of them, and this will be at the bottom end of those third of the films that he's made. Um, it's not you know. I'm not going to put anyone else through this. Just think of this as your episode fifty-four punishment for something else you've maybe watched or will maybe watch in the future. <laughs> So, yeah, that was our episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us. And maybe leave a review, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook, also on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, our Facebook group in particular is a really fun hub, as uh, we not only post our reviews and of new episodes, but we also have um, other fun bits of news on there. And it's just become a really sort of fun community to come together and share bits and pieces uh, related to Asian cinema on there. You can also check out our full archive of episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. Uh, not only there can you find our complete archive of episodes, you can also find the Movie Vault, the Anime Vault, the Dark Side of Asian Cinema, and our mixtape. And you can also find our new bonus project where we're looking at Battle Royale, one DVD chapter at the time on the Battle Royale podcast, which you can also find on this feed as well as its own independent podcast feed as well. But next episode is obviously my turn to pick and we're going to look at something a little lighter as we look at one of the true icons of Asian cinema, in particular Hong Kong martial arts, as we check out 1971's The Big Boss as young Bruce Lee makes his big screen debut. But all that is uh, to come on our next episode. Um, But until then, thank you, of course, to my co-host, Stephen. Thank you for having me and keep hold of your penises, everyone. Um, and until next time, good night. Hey! 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 だけ散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ
昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.